You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Hello, and welcome to SpyCast from the secret files of the International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C. I'm Peter Ernest, the executive director of the museum. I served for some 36 years in the Central Intelligence Agency, largely as what is called an operations officer or a case officer. This is our first SpyCast, and every month we'll be bringing you interesting talks with visitors, with authors, with others who have something to do with the world of intelligence and espionage. And my guest today, a distinguished member of the board of the museum here, is former Major General Oleg Kalugin of the KGB, which, as most of you know, was the civilian intelligence agency of the Soviet Union during the Cold War. Uh, he served uh, two tours in the United States. He was undercover as a, as a uh, graduate student at the Columbia School of Journalism in uh, New York, and shortly after that served uh, as, a, uh, as a correspondent for Soviet uh, radio and television in New York, and then later he returned in the 70s to the Soviet embassy in Washington, D.C., uh, as the press secretary, and of course, during that period, he was uh, undercover because he was truly a KGB intelligence officer. In fact, he was the deputy chief of the Soviet office there. Oleg, welcome. Well, thank you, Peter. Uh, you described correctly my career. I have no objections at all. I'm just thinking, uh, what did I do wrong or right? Uh, uh, because after I left the United States uh, and served at the headquarters of the KGB for a while, at the intelligence headquarters, I was finally reassigned to the domestic service. And that was truly an event which, or I would say the event which uh, turned me around. For the first time, it was not the FBI or the CIA worked against it was the people of the Soviet Union who were disgruntled, unhappy, disillusioned. And my job was to keep them in just uh, in good shape. I mean, loyal to the system, uh, totally dedicated, no distance. If you have your own opinion, you are entitled for a nice place at the psychiatric institution or in jail for that matter. And that's what really made me feel different. And that's what really made my career afterwards uh, 
totally uh, reconsidered and I uh, rushed into politics and Mr. Gorbachev, the Soviet president, helped along in many ways because he said it's time to stop lying to our own country, to our own people and to ourselves. And I am a product of Khrushchev's at an early stage. He was the man who started reforms in Russia and Gorbachev in the final period I embraced and finally made myself what I am today, a free man who live in America and American citizens. But that's a different story, which I'll tell uh, uh, listeners when once the time comes up. Oleg, why don't we start with a subject that's in today's headlines, and that is the this running dispute uh, between Russia and Georgia. And, of course, the way we first heard about it was the expulsion of four Russian intelligence officers from Georgia, uh, which is there's probably nothing surprising in that except that for those of us who follow intelligence matters, this incredibly strong reaction by Russia to the expulsion, uh, and that is a boycotting various products, cutting off airline flights, and a whole list of uh, retaliation uh, steps by the Russians. Could you comment on that? I think that would be interesting for our view, our listeners. Russia's... Uh overreaction to the arrest of its uh, citizens, uh, military officers in Georgia, is uh, in a sense a reflection of Russians' frustration and humiliation. A great nation with imperial mentality has been uh, uh, attacked uh, by the former Republic of the USSR, Georgia. How dare they to imprison or put in jail and then expel, though the Georgians could put them in jail technically for espionage. That was something Russians never suffered before. It's a matter of national humiliation. That's why they overreacted that to serve a lesson to other potential former republics like Ukraine, for instance, or maybe Baltic states. We did have similar situation, not as scandalous when the uh, Baltic republics and the Russians would be involved in espionage. So espionage part of the problem which every uh, country in the world faces today. And in terms of Russian espionage, it uh, has been resumed uh, since the collapse of the USSR. It's in full swing again. But for Russia today, uh, the former republics of the USSR, it's a very sensitive issue. Political stability, their moods of the nation, their government's decisions. And the Georgian government was visibly, obviously pro-Western lately since uh, President Saakashvili came to power. That's why the Russians could not simply tolerate a slap on their face. They had to do something by uh, expelling the Russian citizens. The Georgians did a standard thing, but the Russians went far much further. Uh, they re reacted by economic blockade, essentially. And that what shows the weakness of Russia. That's it. nothing else. I'm very interested, Oleg, in one question, and that is that I thought that there had been some sort of understanding between Russia and the states that had been in the Soviet Union uh, about not engaging in intelligence work in their respective countries. In other words, not sending the KGB, or as it's now called the SVR, in to conduct what we would call covert action. And yet here we find these uh, Russian intelligence officers in Georgia uh, carrying out work precisely of that nature. 
Well, ever since the downfall of the USSR, there was an agreement that no nation part of the community of independent states, or CIS, will be engaged in espionage against each other. And the Russian Civilian Intelligence Service, part of the old KGB, uh, never, not that we know of, was engaged in espionage in the f friendly countries or former independent, former republics of the USSR. However, the military, uh, they have been accepted from that rule. And since Russia maintains a contingent of the armed forces in Georgia, they took advantage of their presence and directed some of the military guys, obviously trained as GIU, military intelligence of Russia, just to do espionage and actually conduct some work of subversion, uh, something which uh, normally would be part of the KGB activities. They wanted to find out what Georgia plans to make itself more independent, and they wanted to undermine the regime. They wanted to topple the regime. That was the mission of the Russian military intelligence in Georgia. That's very interesting. Since the KGB couldn't engage in that, then they had the military intelligence engage in that. Let me just uh, uh, shift to uh, uh, another subject, and that is... Uh, you know, this is October, which is the anniversary of the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962. Do you remember where you were as a young man? Were you then with the KGB? I was a correspondent of Radio Moscow at the United Nations, and I was on my way home from the United States to Russia. And I heard that news on the radio. And, uh, well, I knew it well in advance that things were really deteriorating that Cuba was in uh, major concern for the United States government and the U.S. government would do anything they could to topple the Cuban regime. No wonder Castro appealed to Khrushchev, the former Soviet leader, and Khrushchev provided military and uh, other support actually placing some or trying to place some missiles, intermediate range missiles on the Cuban territory. And that led to a conflict between the United States and Russia. And I remember as I was uh, on my way and I thought we are so close to war at no time in my life as an intelligence officer just as a human never did I think of that of that war so that close and I was so pleased that after uh, some back uh, channel communications in which KGB by the way were involved the yes. KGB officials we did resolve the issue to the satisfaction of all sides Cuba gained uh, sort of uh, time to uh, remain independent. The United States withdrew and uh, gave up, at least for the time being, any attempts to overthrow Castro's regime. The Soviets also managed to get the American intermediate, I mean, missiles removed from Turkey. And that was part of the deal. And, of course, the Russians stopped supplying Cuba with missiles. That was to the benefit of all. And that was one of the greatest events when both countries, so much uh, in confrontation in the Cold War, managed to settle the problems without resorting to weapons, inevitably nuclear weapons. Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more as to the outcome. I think uh, it might be interesting for viewers to hear uh, how we reacted as young intelligence officers. I was... Uh, serving the Middle East then, and I recall the incident. I remember it was, I had no special inside knowledge because I was in CIA, 
But I remember, you know, it was very much of a crisis. And at that time, of course, none of us knew the inside story, what was happening here in Washington, let alone in Moscow. And we didn't know about the back channel traffic. And from, from our perspective, from my perspective as a young American intelligence officer, uh, it looked like uh, President Kennedy had stood up and, and called the, the Soviets bluff and they had to back down and they were going to pull out the missiles. Um, now, we did not know then uh, that President Kennedy had agreed to uh, withdraw missiles from Turkey. That was, I don't think that was part of public knowledge for some years. Um, but from your perspective as a young KGB officer, did you feel that your government and that Khrushchev had done the right thing in implanting missiles in Cuba, in, in trying to provide for Cuba's defense at that time, and that that had been a correct move? It was not a mistake by Khrushchev or the Soviet Union. It was not a mistake. It was a misjudgment of President Kennedy in the first place, and his determination to stop the Soviets uh, who wanted to place missiles on Cuba. But the ostensible and real reason, and I understood it as a young intelligence officer, the reason for the Soviets was to respond to Fidel Castro's concern about his own security. I mean, not his personal, but his country's revolution. The Bay of Pigs demonstrated that the United States would go very far to oust the regime. Castro wanted some kind of a support, not only ver verbal, but also military support. And Khrushchev, who at that time felt that the Soviets were winning the third world countries, for him to deny Castro's request would be to show Soviet weakness. So he played along and he did it knowingly that some reaction will follow. He did not expect the reaction would be so violent, so vigorous. And that what made him think about the future of, of the world and peace in the end. And that's what made him in the end to realize that peace is superior, is above all. And that's why he withdrew. No, that's interesting. I, I, when you talk about Kennedy's, President Kennedy's misjudgment, um, as, as we all recall today, uh, Kennedy's reaction uh, was one to mount a blockade of the island, not to undertake any violent action, not to... There were those who were pressing the president then to invade Cuba or to bomb Cuba, but he chose not to do that. He, he opted for a blockade and for continuing diplomatic discussion, which eventually resolved the crisis. That's correct, and yet uh, the Bay of Pigs demonstrated that some crazy guys in Washington may push the president out of uh, power eventually. And that was a Soviet conspiracy theory which was founded on our own mentality, Soviet mentality. So we would not trust what the president said. We just thought that we would help Castro to defend himself. And that was what stood behind Khrushchev's decision to place missiles on the Cuban territory. I, I should mention uh, as we pass here, and I do want to ask you one more question before we have to leave, and that is that we have a number of programs here at the, uh, at the International Spy Museum where we try and touch on topics of uh, both historical interest but those that have a bearing on today. And we will be doing a program on Wednesday, the 11th October, on Cuba. And we will be hearing from a former CIA analyst as well as a, a, 
Brian Littell, as well as Don Boning, who is author of The Castro Obsession, U.S. Covert Operations Against Cuba, 59 to uh, 1965. This should be a fascinating program, and I simply wanted to mention it here uh, as we pass through the subject. Um, before we end, let me ask you uh, one topic that's somewhat delicate, but uh, I think the nature of our conversations here on the SpyCast is to uh, touch on subjects that people would not hear anywhere else. And that is, uh, it's my understanding that in uh, Sunday's issue of the New York Times, uh, they touch on uh, your relationship with the uh, American uh, uh, commentator, uh, uh, independent writer, and so forth, I.F. Stone. And I'm just wondering if you've had a chance to uh, read what the New York Times said and if you had any comment. Well, I've read this piece um, in the New York Times. Uh, it's a review of two books uh, uh, about uh, Isaac Stone, and one of the books uh, authors, one of the authors, claimed that I was not honest in describing uh, uh, um, Isaac Stone's role at the time. That he was not a spy; he was a great patriot of America, a left-wing liberal, um, smart, really uh, uh, so great a guy. He l served as a symbol of American liberalism. Well, let me tell you, and this is nothing new, in my book published in the United States and in uh, other countries in 1995, 10 years ago, I stated clearly, sometime in 1966, I received uh, uh, instructions from Moscow to try to resume relations with I.F. Stone, who used to be a source of information for many years. As the press officer of the Soviet embassy, I called Mr. Stone and said that I always read his uh, weekly uh, uh, and uh, I would be delighted to meet him. And when we met, I told him I brought the greetings from your old friends from Moscow. And he was very receptive, very enthusiastic. And ever since, we would meet for nearly two years. He had no access to classified information, but he had a lot of friends on the Capitol Hill in the U.S. government, and he had a very knowledgeable, very well-informed guy, and that's what the Russian Soviet intelligence wanted to get from him, and he was willing and enthusiastic to share. To share. This whole friendship lasted for more than two years, and the end of it was in 1968 in August when the Soviet troops moved into Czechoslovakia and the last vestiges of Thor liberal, uh, liberalism of Khrushchev style were crushed by the Soviet tax. And when we met again with Ive Stone at lunch, I would normally pay, I would always pay for lunch. No money involved otherwise. He told me, Oleg, no more. I hate your bloody gummit. That's it. That's all over. I never met him since. My goodness, what an what a what an end to uh, a relationship uh, over over that political event. But he was one of a number of people, I think, who that was the final straw. Was the invasion of uh, Czechoslovakia? In I met uh, dozens yeah. of I met dozens of prominent American journalists, including some who were very upset and. Uh, angry about the Soviet invasion of Czechoslovakia. But none would say, Oleg, I'll never meet you again. 
that suggests some special relationship. And according to the great U.S. program, Venona, conducted by the National Security Agency for many years, uh, I.F. Stone was identified as a Soviet agent, intelligence agent, codename Blin. He volunteered in the middle of the 1930s. My goodness. So he was... He was a man of principle to the end. Yes, indeed. He yes, was. was he not? So it was an honor to have known him. Well, Oleg, thank you so much for joining us here today. I think our viewers are going to find your comments absolutely fascinating. Uh, and we look forward to talking to you again about the early days and when you, when you first joined the party, when you first joined the KGB and your experiences here in America. I think that would be absolutely fascinating. And we're, of course, honored to have you on the board here at the museum. And I thank you again for coming today. Thank you, Peter. I enjoyed it myself. Well, we look forward to uh, continuing uh, this dialogue with you. And uh, we'd like to know if you have any comments or questions on today's SpyCast. Uh, you can get in touch with us uh, through email at spycast at spymuseum, that's one word, dot org. That's spycast at spymuseum.org. Thank you. Hi, everybody. It's Maria Varmazas here, your host over at T-Minus Space Daily and sometimes a guest on Hacking Humans, too. We here at N2K CyberWire work hard to bring you concise, intelligence-driven news and commentary, and we'd like to know how we're doing. Please take a few minutes to complete our audience survey and share your feedback to help us continue to grow and meet your needs. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey to get started. Thanks so much for your input as we reach for the stars. It means the universe to us. Mm -hmm.